So today we are starting a three-week sermon series on prayer. And the reason we're doing that is to prepare us for our annual week of prayer, which we are going to be having the end of January. It starts actually two weeks from today, our week of prayer, on Saturday the 9th of January. And during that week, every day there's going to be smaller groups meeting every day of the week, uh, either over Zoom or in public, smaller groups, public places with social distancing. And then on Friday, the 15th of January, we're going to bring our, our prayer week to a close. Now, that's, that's a Friday, so we'll still have our YouTube service that Friday morning. But later in the day, we'll be having gatherings on Zoom for everybody in the church who wants to tune in so we can all be praying together. And then that Friday, we're going to be encouraging everyone who can to fast and pray as we pray together. And then we'll break the fast that evening um, at a mall's food court nearby. So that's our plan. And so today and the next two Saturdays, what we want to do is open up God's Word, study passages from God's Word about prayer. And this morning, I want us to focus on 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through, 20, 1 through 24. 2 Chronicles 20. 1 through 24. And the reason I want to look at this passage is it will help us understand why are we having a week of prayer where we gather together to pray and we mix fasting into the mix. Why do that? It's a lot of effort, a lot of work. What's the point? Now here's the background to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. At this time in Israel's history, God's people were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat was the king over the southern kingdom. And in the previous chapter, 2 Chronicles 19, we see how Jehoshaphat led the people of Judah towards the Lord in faithfulness and in obedience to him. He was a godly man, led people towards the Lord. But at the beginning of chapter 20, we can see that a crisis has come an urgent, massive problem. So let's ask the question, what crisis did Jehoshaphat face? And look at what we read in verses 1 and 2. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, the Dead Sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Now here's a map, just so you can see what's going on here. The Moabites and the Ammonites lived to the east across the Dead Sea. You can see Ammon at the top right there and Moab straight across there. The Munites are probably the people in the bottom right section, the Edomites, also known as. So what we have here is three different nations whose armies are combining together to go and invade Judah. And from the rest of the passage, it looks like their goal is to take over the land, to kick all, the, all these people out, kill them, slaughter them, drive them out so they take over the land. Now think of how frightening that would be if you had one nation's armies coming to destroy you. Think of how frightening it would be if you had two nations' armies coming to destroy you. Well, Jehoshaphat faced three nations' armies 
combining together to come and destroy God's people. And verse 2 tells us that they are in Engedi, which means they are very close. They are on their way marching toward Jerusalem, where Jehoshaphat was. So that's the crisis that Jehoshaphat is facing. Now, how did Jehoshaphat respond to this crisis? Verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Okay, so Jehoshaphat was afraid. And Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. Now, that really struck me this week as I studied that, seeking the Lord. And what struck me about that is that in my life, and I would guess probably in all of our lives, too often prayer can just become kind of a routine that we go through. We, we pray through our list. It's just kind of a, of a duty that we perform. But see, that is not prayer. This is what prayer is, seeking the Lord. It's a beautiful description of prayer. Prayer is seeking the Lord. See, th think about it like this. God is real. He's a real being. And we can seek Him. He can be sought and He can be found. You can seek and find the Lord. And the way we seek and find God is through prayer. Like Jehoshaphat does here. Jehoshaphat knew he needed to meet God. He needed God. And so he set his face to seek the Lord. So Grace Church, let's just move out of our lives. Any kind of prayer, just like going through the routine, or we say our prayers, or we're just going through the list. Let's just move that out of our lives, and let's be men and women, children, young people, who spend time seeking the Lord in prayer. We're seeking His face. God can be sought, and God can be found. Let's be a church who seeks the Lord. So not only did He, call people, did he seek the Lord, He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. He called everyone who could to gather together at the temple in Jerusalem to seek the Lord with fasting. Now, that's a lot of work. Think about, let's load up the, the camel, you know, let's start moving. Get, I mean, kids, come on, everything packed, let's go. That's a lot of work to mobilize all of Judah there to seek the Lord with fasting. So why? Why call people together to pray with fasting? Now, I really wrestled with this question this week. And it's not an easy question to answer. There's a lot of mystery about prayer, but some things are crystal clear in the Bible. Here's some things that are crystal clear. First of all, the Bible is clear that God is sovereign over everything. He can do whatever He chooses. He has no rival. He has no equal, just like we sang this morning. So the Bible is clear that God is sovereign over everything and can do whatever He chooses to do. The Bible's also clear that God has chosen to have our prayers move Him to act. 
He's chosen to have our prayers stir his heart, touch his heart, to do what he's already chosen to do. He's chosen to have our prayers have that effect on his heart. Now, of course, that's only, that can only happen because of Jesus paying for our sins on the cross, right? Because of Jesus, because we're trusting him, because all of our sins have been paid for, because we're clothed with his perfect righteousness, when little me or little you, when we pray, oh, God has chosen to have our prayers touch his heart. That is, that is massively important to think about. I mean, just think about it. Your prayers can touch the heart of God, and he's chosen to have your prayers move him to do things. What mercy, what glory is in that? So those things are clear. God is sovereign, and he's chosen to have our prayers move him to act. And the Bible also seems to teach, you, you keep thinking about this, but I, I believe the Bible also teaches that there are ways we can pray that will especially stir God to work and to act. Like, for example, persevering in prayer, praying with others. I'll show you a scripture about that in a moment. Fasting. I'll show you a scripture about that in a moment. Now, the, here's the question. Are these things like, like if I persevere in prayer, am I guaranteed that God will say yes to my prayer? No. I don't think that's what the Bible is teaching. These are not guarantees. And the reason we know that is when we compare lots of scriptures together. So remember, Paul persevered in prayer that God would remove his thorn in the flesh. Remember that? Three times Paul labored in prayer earnestly that God would remove this trial from him. But even though he persevered in prayer, God's answer to him was a loving, kind, no, Paul, no, Paul. This time, with the, I'm going to let this trial remain because with this trial, I'm going to give you more joy in Jesus than you would have had without this trial. And Paul thought, all right then, I'm going to boast in this trial because Jesus is everything to me. So, these are not guarantees that if you persevere in prayer, then you will certainly get a yes answer. So we got to understand that these aren't guarantees, but these are encouragements that when we take these steps, often we will see God answering even more. So they're encouragements to us. Let me give you two examples. First of all, about praying with other people, gathering together to prayer. Look at Matthew 18, 19. Jesus says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, the context of this passage is important. The previous verses are talking about church discipline issues, church decisions along those lines. Okay, but even so, notice that this verse encourages us to pray with others. Where if you pray with one other person and the two of you agree, there will be times when praying with one other person in agreement will move God's heart to, to work even more than if you were just praying by yourself. That's got to be what this verse means. This is not a guarantee that if I can find one other person, would you agree with me to pray together? Then yes, God's for sure going to say yes. No, that's not what this passage is teaching. But it is an encouragement to pray with others because God will very often respond to prayer with others with even more of his power and work. Then what about fasting? Look at Isaiah 58, verse 4. Here's the background. Israel was fasting regularly, coming together to fast and pray, but they were wicked 
They were oppressing the poor. They were ignoring the widows and the orphans. They were beating each other. I mean, look at what happens here. Isaiah says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. So see, God's people were fasting in a wicked way. And so that, that fasting will not cause their voices to be heard on high. But notice what that means. That means that if you're fasting in a humble way, in a godly way, in a righteous way, there will be many times where that does cause God to move with even more power. Your voice will be more heard on high. Not a guarantee that if you fast about something it will happen, but an encouragement to fast. Because very often God will respond with even more power. Now, does this mean that it's not worth praying all by yourself without fasting? Like, why bother doing that then? No, that's not what this means. Think about it like this. I've used this illustration before. We know throughout the scripture, I mean, think about like, like when Elijah was praying, asking God to, to pour the fire out upon the altar. Here's one person, he wasn't fasting, and boom, God worked with amazing power. So one person's prayer without fasting very often, God moves with amazing power and work. So I like to think like one person praying without fasting, that's like a, a hundred megatons of prayer power. Now, if you add praying with other people, and if you add fasting in, that might kick it up to like 120 or even more megatons of prayer power. So the point is, don't neglect the hundred megatons of your own individual prayer, but when you can, pray with others, and when you can, fast and pray, because it'll very often move God to pray even more. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to put all these different scriptures together for how this works, but see, that explains why Jehoshaphat would gather all of Judah together, as many as could make it, and call them all to fast and to pray together because we are encouraged that when there is crises, when there are urgent, drastic needs, we're encouraged, come together to pray. Come together to pray with fasting because very often God will respond to corporate prayer with fasting with even more power, with even more answers. So that's why Jehoshaphat gathers God's people together to pray. When we face urgent crises, it's wise for us to gather with others and pray with fasting. Does that make sense? That's why Jehoshaphat does what he's doing here. And that's why we're calling Grace Church to come together and devote a week to prayer and then closing that last day with prayer and fasting for those who are able. You can fast other times during the week if you want to, but this is what we're calling all of us to do. We're doing that because, church, we face many situations that are urgent and that are crises. Why do I say that? First of all, we have seen God do amazing things in His mercy and His grace. He has blessed us, church, so, so much. He has lavished His grace upon us. But even so, church, we need, as a church, a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we need more. I need more. You need more. And there is more. So we have an urgent need. Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us more. We need more passion for Christ. 
and more love for our brothers and sisters. Oh, God has blessed us with love for Christ and love for each other, but we need more than there is more to be had. We have church members who need jobs and have been without work for months. This is an urgent crisis. Oh, we love our brothers and sisters. We weep with those who weep. We need to pray for them. We have people in our church body who are suffering heartbreaking trials. Oh, we need to pray. Urgent crises. We are surrounded by people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. Never heard. And they are on their way to hell forever. And we have the gospel. Oh, we need to pray that God will work through us. We need more wisdom in sharing the gospel, more compassion, more tears, more boldness. So yes, God has done amazing things in and through Grace Church, but there is more for us to have. We are living in such a spiritually strategic place. We face urgent needs all the time. Do you see why we need to get together and pray together as a church family with fasting? Because there are urgent needs, and it may be that God in His mercy will will respond even more as we come together to pray and as we fast and, and pray. That's why we're having a week of prayer. Now let's look at how Jehoshaphat prayed. What can we learn? I love, there's four principles I saw in these verses about how to pray. Each of them has been helpful for me this week. First of all, declare the truth of who God is. Look at verses 5 and 6. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, here's his prayer, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Lord, you are the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God in heaven, which means you are the supreme God. There's no one above you. No one can be superior to you. You alone are God. Beautiful, amazing de declaration. Then he declares, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, like the Moabites, for example, and the Ammonites and the Munites. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Your hand has so much power and might, you can do whatever you choose to do with the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Munites. So Jehoshaphat starts by declaring the truth of who God is. Now, why does he do that? Obviously, it's not because God doesn't know these things. God knows very well who he is. But I think it's to remind himself of who God is. I think it's to remind those who are praying with him of who God is, because that will strengthen their faith. It will remind them of why they are praying. It's because the one we are talking to has complete power over these three armies that are coming against us. Total sovereign power over them. So we're going to ask him for help because he's the one who can give help. So declaring these truths about God would, would have strengthened their faith, raised their faith. And so I would encourage you, when you start to pray, start by just declaring to God who he is. It's worship it's declaration, it's affirmation, it's beautiful, and it's faith strengthening. You will feel your faith rise as you do that. Second, 
Jehoshaphat reminds God of his promises. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So Jehoshaphat reminds God, God, you promised this land that we're in right now. You promised this land to Abraham and his descendants, and you promised it to us forever. Well, that promise has relevance. These three armies are coming ready to destroy them and move them out of that land. Verse 8, and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Those last words is a summary of a lot of Old Testament promises. You, God, will hear and you will save. Now think of how that would have strengthened their faith. There's Jehoshaphat praying, God, you promised that when we come and pray to you, you will hear and you will save. Ah, that would have so strengthened the people in their faith. So church, why should we remind God of his promises? God will never forget his promises. That's impossible. He always remembers his promises. He's always faithful to his promises. But the reason it's helpful to remind God of his promises is because that will strengthen our faith. This is what God has promised to do. That's why I'm praying. So I would encourage you, remind God of his promises when you pray. Father, you've promised to meet all our needs in Christ Jesus. You've promised that. Father, you've promised to comfort the brokenhearted, Psalm 34, 18. Lord, you've promised to do that. You've promised to deliver all who call upon you. We are calling upon you now. You've promised to deliver. Father, you've promised to save men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. You've promised to do that, Lord. So remind God of his promises. That's second. Third, tell God the situation you're in, verses 10 and 11. And now behold, remember he's talking to God, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, it's the Munites, whom you would not let Israel invade when Israel came from the land of Egypt, whom Israel avoided and did not destroy, behold, they... The Ammonites, Moabites, Munites, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Remember, when Israel was traveling from Egypt to the promised land, they went by the land of Moab and the land of Ammon and the land of Edom, and God said, do not invade them, do not touch them, go right past them. And that's what Israel did. But now, those three nations are seeking to destroy Israel. So see, Jehoshaphat tells God about their problem. He, Lord, here's the problem we're facing. Now again, obviously, God knows their problem better than Jehoshaphat knows their problem, right? So why tell God about your problem if God already knows? Well, you've experienced this, I'm sure. When you tell God about your problem, 
Lord, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Munites, they're coming. They want to destroy us. When you tell God, it reminds you that God knows all about this. He cares about this. He knows more about this than you do. And it will just strengthen and comfort your heart that you're doing the right thing, that you're coming to the right one. He's the one you want to talk to because he knows, he cares. And it'll, it'll help you to fellowship with him as he cares for you in the midst of your problem that you're dealing with. So, let's apply that to us here. Here we are in Abu Dhabi. Grace Church. So we want to tell God the situation that we're in as we pray over these next weeks, and especially as we have our week of prayer. So mentions things like this. Remember, this is all in the context. God has done amazing things here in Grace Church, through Grace Church. He's been so incredibly merciful to us. We haven't, we haven't deserved any of it, what he's done here. But as much as God has done, we need more of the Spirit's work in our hearts. Don't we? Don't you feel that? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Lord, I need more of your Spirit's work. Lord, we as a church, we need more of your Spirit's work. We need more love for Jesus. We need more love for each other. I'm so self-centered, self-focused. Lord, help us. Help me. Help us to love each other. We need more love for the lost. We need more tears. We need more wisdom, boldness, risk. Lord, we need more. Father, COVID restrictions are keeping us from meeting face to face, and it's just so hard. Zoom is hard, Lord. The Lord knows better than we do, but Lord, Zoom is hard to keep having these meetings. Father, we have family members who are turning away from you. Lord, some of us have been without work for months in this church. Lord, it's a struggle. It's hard. There's been salary cuts. There's financial pressure. Lord, help us. Father, we have people who are going through heartbreaking trials in this church. There's people around us, Lord, living right around us who are lost in sin, who are under Satan's dominion, who are on their way to eternal judgment. So tell the Lord the problems that we're facing, the crises that we're facing, because it will make them even more clear to your mind. It'll help you to fellowship with him about those problems, and it'll strengthen your faith that you're talking to the right person about all these things. So powerful. Fourth, ask God for what you need. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And notice, Jehoshaphat asks for exactly what they need. Will you not execute judgment on them? In other words, Father, judge them. Judge them now. Defeat them now. He's very specific in what he asks for. And I would encourage you to be specific when you ask God to do things. Don't settle just for asking God, Lord, Lord, bless, bless Grace Church and and bless Abu Dhabi, amen. I mean, okay, but I find, I find it much more engaging to say, Lord, would you fill us afresh with your spirit? Lord, would you pour out your grace upon this family that's struggling? Lord, would you provide a job for this gentleman here? Lord, would you open up a door for the gospel in my neighborhood with these neighbors? Lord, would you raise up a Hindi-Urdu-speaking church planter 
so that we can have a partnership in seeing a Hindi-Urdu church planted here. To ask God for specific things just stirs my heart much more than bless Abu Dhabi and bless Grace Church. Does that make any sense? Be specific, just like Jehoshaphat is here. So let's learn how to pray from these four principles that we see in Jehoshaphat's prayer. But now, feel the drama that this prayer ends on. Read the last part of verse 12 and then verse 13. Last part of verse 12, he he closes his prayer. We do not know what to do. He's, He's actually just said, we are powerless before this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Prayer ends, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Do you feel the drama of that moment? We are powerless. Marching, 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 marching. Here they come, three countries' armies. We are powerless. We don't know what to do. We're looking to you, God. Amen. And there's everybody, Judah. Wives, children, men, everybody there. What's God going to do? Do you feel the drama of that moment? And what happens? How does God answer this prayer? Verses 14 through 17. And the Spirit of the Lord. So they're all, they're all there in silent waiting on the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. But you would have been listening, wouldn't you? What? What's he going to say? Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Oh, do you feel that? Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, Go down against them. You said he didn't know what to do. Here's what to do. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. That's where you're going to need to go. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Powerful. All of Israel is standing there. We're powerless. We don't know what to do. Amen. They're all waiting on the Lord, and God speaks to them through the prophet Jehaziel. Don't be afraid. God says, the battle is not yours. It's God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. You won't need to fight. You just watch. See God's salvation. God will be with you. So what ends up happening? Verses 18 and 19. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. You would have done the same, wouldn't you? And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord worshiping the Lord. Thank you, Father. We praise you, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Glory be to God. 
And the Levites, the Kohathites, the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So everyone falls on their faces before God in worship, and the worship team stands up to, to worship the Lord. And then look at what happens in verse 20. And they arose early in the morning, the next day, and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me. Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. So again, the worshipers are going before the army, and here's what they say. Give thanks to the Lord. Here's their worship. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so because Jehoshaphat trusted God's word, God's word through the prophet, because Jehoshaphat trusted God's word, he knew they would not need to fight. We're going to go ahead and march out there, but we're going to put the worshipers before them because we're not even going to need to fight. So he had the worship leaders march in front, and as they started to head toward the Ammonites, Moabites, and Munites, who are still a little ways away, they sang, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what happened? Verse 22, when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, the Munites, devoting them to destruction. They're fighting each other. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. The Ammonites and the Moabites destroyed each other. Verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Did they need to fight? No. They saw the salvation of their God, just like God had said. So Grace Church, all of those of you who are listening, what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways this morning. And the first, this is for those of you who are here or are listening who are not yet trusting Jesus, because Jesus is the foundation of this whole passage. Those of you who are not yet trusting Jesus or any of you who have been drifting from trusting Jesus, you know what I mean. Here's the first takeaway. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus to forgive you, trust Him to change you, trust Him to fill you. Turn and trust Jesus. I mean, do you see in this passage how glorious God is? I mean, look at his compassion and his mercy towards his people. Look at his power and his sovereignty and his authority. Look at who God is. Listen, you need this God. You need this God. This is the only God there is. You were created to know Him and to depend upon Him and have Him as your Father. But you can't, and none of us can in ourselves because of our sin. But that's why Christmas is being celebrated, because God sent Jesus, who came, born as a baby, died on the cross, and was punished for the sins 
of everyone who will trust him. And because he was punished for sins, as you trust him, you're reconciled to God, and God becomes your God. And you become his son, his daughter, his adopted son, daughter. So turn from your sin, put your trust in Jesus now. Second takeaway, join us in our week of prayer. Mark that off on your calendars. This passage teaches that when the needs are urgent, it's wise for God's people to come together to fast and pray. Because often when we fast and pray with God's people, God will move with even more power. And we have urgent needs as I've described. So join us in our week of prayer. We'll be emailing out more information about the details. But you don't need to wait until then. Third takeaway, strengthen your commitment to prayer now. Like now, like this afternoon, like tonight. And pray like Jehoshaphat did. First of all, set your heart to seek the Lord. You're seeking the Lord. He can be sought and he can be found through praying in Jesus' name. So seek the Lord. And then declare the truth of who God is. Remind God of his promises to strengthen your faith. Tell God about the situation you're in, the details of what's going on, and then ask God for what you need. Pray like Jehoshaphat prayed. And when you do, when you do, you will see God work in your own heart, in your circumstances, in your family members, in the people around you, in this city, in this region. You, we will see God work. So let's stand. I want to pray this over us. What an amazing passage of Scripture, Father. Thank you so much for having this in the Word of God. I pray that we would learn from it. I pray that people right now would be turning from sin and trusting Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that people would be stirred to join in as we have our week of prayer. And I pray, Lord, that even starting today, our prayer lives would be strengthened because of what we've learned here in your Word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.